This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School during Reunion Weekend, celebrating past alumni and their accomplishments and offering the opportunity for past graduates to cultivate connections and learn from renowned Wharton faculty. This is a special presentation of Knowledge at Wharton. Here's your host, Dan Loney. And hi, everybody, and welcome to our Reunion Radio special here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Great to be with you. Our first Wharton alum joining us today has a unique combination of work skills. He is the founder of a company called Healerology, which looks to help people improve their mindset or, as their website says, working together to heal the spiritual, emotional, and physical. But he is also a program manager with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security in Washington, Washington, D.C. Dominic Petty is a 1998 Wharton grad back on campus for as part of the Alumni Weekend and Graduation Weekend. Nice meeting you. Welcome back to, to campus. Thank you. Good morning. So as you were saying to me beforehand, this building, when you were graduating back in the late 90s, was a, a relatively new idea at that point. It, it, it was a new idea. I'm not quite sure if I saw the ground being broken, but um, we, we were somewhere over there, and I'm motioning to some building behind you, right. and we shared it with the, the undergrads. Um, which I didn't know at the time, but we were not supposed to appreciate that. But so <laughs> we would go back and forth between the buildings. Uh, you know, at lunchtime we'd pass each other, and so a lot of lot of crowding. Yeah. And um, and then magically after I graduated, right. <laughs> we graduated this this magnificent building yeah. uh, came up, and you know I've only been it I been in it a couple times. Right. I've yet to really explore it, but it just seems marvelous. So what? in your mind did the experience here at Wharton give you that you have seen play out over the 20 years since you were here? I'd say ultimately, really good friends. Okay. Really good connections. I will say uh, along the way, there's uh, definitely been some name cachet. Uh, it's, it's been great in interviews. It's been great for uh, talking to employers. Right. Great cocktail conversation. Um, but the thing that I, I have enjoyed most has been the lasting friendships I've had from that. And I would also say seeing a different perspective that people had. My undergraduate was at, at Stanford, right. and, and I did industrial engineering there. And um, it was just just an amazing group connection of people, West Coast-type atmosphere. Sure. And, I, and I come out here, and I get the whole experience of the East Coast, right. um, people who knew from birth that they are going to work on Wall Street. Right. And then you know, I came from the Midwest. You know, I should have been more informed when I started, but right. I'm, people are going to private equity. What's yep. that? Yeah. And so um, I really enjoyed the diversity of ideas here and definitely the, the international flair of it. I, I got to know a, a good number of people in the Lauder program. Sure. And yeah. they've been truly inspirational in terms of the, the, the number of languages that, that they know, um, their willingness to like, work and be any place in the world. So I, I just enjoy having that type of energy in my life. Well, and, and I think that's one of the, the benefits uh, of Wharton is the fact that you can be in the business world for 10 years, 15 years, whatever that that number may be. And you can still have that connection back to the school yes. and the different elements within the school. Because seemingly, and, and you're an example of it, you go and get an engineering degree undergrad, and now you're working in various other 
fields, which may not have necessarily been what you were focusing on in college, but obviously the resources here at Wharton still benefit you to a degree. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, c- currently I'm I'm in Miami, yep. and uh, one of my good friends from Wharton, uh, Juan Luis, uh, he uh, knows everyone, the, the, the prototypical Malcolm Gladwell connector. Right. And so when I say he knows everyone, I mean everyone. He's more like a, a two degrees of Kevin Bacon. Right, right. Um, but we've been just good friends since Wharton. So we've gone on, on trips together. Um, he's invited me to various of his activities. He and I were in New York. Well, he and I were in San Francisco for a while. Sure, yeah. And then we were in New York for a while, and somehow we're in Miami now yeah. <laughs> together. Um, so that's been fantastic. And on the the career side, you know, maybe it'll come together in in this conversation. I I will finally figure out what I've been doing <laughs> in terms of piecing all this stuff together. But it's it's been it's been really enjoyable for so sure. It's interesting because I was saying you have a, a a kind of a diverse business background right now in that you're working as a program manager at Department of Homeland Security. And as you were describing it to me, uh, you are basically training the people at the management side of DHS for a wide range of the other entities that are kind of under that umbrella. But you also are the founder of this company, Healerology, which is, you know, very much different, a different focus than probably what you're doing at DHS. Yeah, it it, it is. Uh, I will say Healerology, it's, it, in my head, it's the next step. It's it's pushing further in terms of the de- development side. So at, at, at DHS, I'm working in the training center, yeah. Well, the training center for headquarters. So that's all about leadership development. That's all about you know making sure that you're a better leader. You understand the difference say between a leader, a manager, a supervisor, it's yeah. that type of thing. You're learning more to connect with people. Maybe you're getting better at time management, right. productivity type things, project management. Um, and we have a variety of assessments that we give. Uh, there's a Myers Briggs. There's there's a DISC assessment. Uh, there's a strength finder. So all of these are, are, are to help a person know themselves better right, right. Um, and all very valuable. In my observation, though, the way to truly get the self-development going, to be that better self that you want to be, to be that, that best leader, it's the inner work that you have to address. Right. It's really going into the parts of yourself that uh, maybe are not working. Maybe that you don't like as much. Maybe that you you try to hide from from everybody, um, and that's really more what the healerology side is, of things are. So, I get to see it as a uh, continuum, and if people really get turned on, say, by what they're discovering from themselves uh, on, on the leadership development side, um, they the, the journey continues. Right. There's this whole infiniteness of the universe. When you look outside of yourself, you look into the stars, you see billions of stars and universes and galaxies and it goes on and on. But that same infiniteness is within each of us. And that's something I really enjoy helping people discover that that inside. It, and at the very least, getting awareness of that. Yeah. Many people I encounter, they um they kind of think I'm 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 just meat and you know I I got some intelligence. I do some stuff, and then it's over. Yeah. And all I say, well, have you considered this perspective? I I don't have any truth right. to give to people, but I do have perspectives to share with them, and 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 discussions to have. But it, it feels like now that that more and more people are at least willing to discuss, as you kind of laid out that other path, that other idea. Did you look at it from this perspective? 
and whether or not it's kind of the dynamic that we are in in this country right now with all the different things happening. But it, it does feel like that that people realize that there may not just be one explanation for something. There may be two or three or one path that you go. There's two or three. And I, I think that what that does is it makes the potential of this country and the society more dynamic. And I think we can benefit for, from it in the future. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I, I look at uh, or, or take what you said as essentially expanding people's box. Sure. And, yeah. Um, one perspective I would share with people is just consider yourself unlimited. There's nothing that you can't do. The only limitation that you have is the limitation you tell yourself. Right. And a lot of times people pick up these limitations when they're growing up. They will hear, uh, you know, a parent say, like, you know, you can't do that. You're not fast enough. You're not quick enough. You're too slow. You're not smart enough. Um, they may have a sibling. There'll be some significant event or more events, and they'll really hang a lot of their beliefs on that. Right. And at a certain point, maybe the parent or the sibling or the teacher was, was the jailer or the one that had the constraint on that. But then what people yeah. do is they become their, their own jailers. And they say, this is the box I live in, and this is a box that I, I have to stay in. And right. so um, my, my effort is to really raise the consciousness of people as quickly as possible. Yeah. And I can do that on an individual basis. If, if more people than, than one or two want to sit in front of me, I would do that as well. But raising consciousness, um, I would say it's just taking on more perspectives. Take, take on as many perspectives as you can yeah. and assume none of them are true and perhaps consider that all of them are true. Right. Everything, it's very, it's very malleable in terms of what we believe. And I think Henry Ford even had this quote. Um, I'll, I'll butcher it, but something equivalent to, if a man believes he can do something, he can. And if a man believes he cannot do something, he's right as well. And so you yeah. have to really uh, diligently police, monitor your self-talk. And every time you identify something that says, well, I can't, or I'm not able to, yeah. um, in a very non-judging, a very self-loving way, just explore that. You know, maybe go back to and say, well, when did that happen? Right. What, why, when did I pick up that belief? And to expand it to what you meant for, for the country at large, if everyone is doing that individually, then their interactions with other people become better because all judgment, and I think that's maybe where I'll take – a bit of what you said in that direction. I don't know if you meant, but a lot of judgment that people have for each other, ultimately, all judgment is self-judgment. Yeah, yeah. So the only yeah. thing that, that you're finding fault with in someone is something that you don't like within yourself. Correct, right. So, so yep. instead of saying, I don't like myself, just figure out, hey, what's what's going on here? But there's also an element to this, and not necessarily the culture of of the country, but also just what we see as kind of the dynamics that we deal with on a day-to-day basis whether it be pressures that you have in the workplace or the fact that seemingly we are connected by our smartphones 24-7, 365, either to our friends, to our work, whatever. And we don't have the same type of communication, uh, I don't want to say skills, but the communication paths that we had 25, 30 years ago when you sent a letter to somebody instead of texting them or you actually called them on the phone instead of texting them. And I think that's also ramped up a lot of the pressure, which I think then kind of comes back and plays back into what you're doing with Healerology about just understand yourself better so that your days can be better. You can get along with people better. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, there, there's so many paths to, to go down this, you know, call it what you will, raising your consciousness, becoming more comfortable with yourself, a spiritual exploration. I'm not wed to, to any type phrase, but um, all the technology you mentioned, I love it. Yeah. You know, grew up with all the video games, you know, had an Apple computer. Yeah. Um, I, I love all the connectedness type stuff. Um, it's interesting, though. Like, when Facebook first came out, like, I, I looked at it, and it's a very personal viewpoint. And I said, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> right. Because yeah. I, I saw this as kind of a lure, a trap for people to just <laughs> spend a lot of, of time on it. And this is um, – Kind of what I've seen. Now, it's my particular lens, so it's not yeah, any yeah. more true than someone says, well, you know, this is a great tool for me because of why. But um, I would say use the technology, but then do the other stuff and have a conversation with someone. Yeah. When you talk to someone, put your phone down, put it out of sight, turn the alerts off, yeah. look them in the eye, really try to connect with them while you're, you're, you're speaking with them. Maybe try to, like, match their breathing or something, like, to deepen the, the connection. While they're talking, be silent. Right. Listen to them. Um, most people are are not being heard. And that's that's so funny. Yeah. It's like, you know, all this communication is going around, but one of the things that most people want so dearly is just to be listened to. Yeah. And so like that silence is is a powerful form of, of communication. Uh so you know, I mentioned that I'm in Miami just the, the other week. I, I I'm surprised I hadn't done it sooner. Um I arranged to have some like minded people over for dinner. Right. And the premise was, I said, you know, we just get to fill each other up with love and connection. Right. And it was one of the most beautiful nights I've had, beautiful events I've had in such a long time. So now that's going to become a monthly event. There you go. And we are going to rotate it among different people's houses. Um, And it's come together quite organically. But everyone felt that was fantastic. And in that evening, um, there's no television. And there was just food. (laughs) Drop your smartphones at the front door. <laughs> yeah. 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 One person came in. He's, he's probably one of the most conscious people I know. I mean, I, I, if I could only learn from, like, the, the feet of this man. I mean, like, every time we're in conversation, I would just yeah. say, stay on. He made sure before he walked in, he turned off his phone. Like, he just got it. Yeah. He says, yeah, I just, because I, I thought he didn't want it ringing or something. No, I, I want to turn it off. I, I want to be able to focus on everyone here. And it seems, uh, you know, magically, everyone gathered there had done the same. Yeah. And, you know, it went... We started at 7.30, and then it was 2 in the morning, way too fast. And everyone was saying, like, oh, wow, we should do this again. And so I would just offer that as one example that people can do. And the other thing is, um, so I would just call that community. Mm -hmm. I believe we need community. So create that for, for, for yourself if you don't have it. But the other thing, enjoy spending time with yourself. Right. Spending time with yourself should be... As, as, as a framework, should be as equally good as spending time with other people. And if you can't spend time with yourself, you can't spend time with your thoughts, again, with non-judgment, a complete self-love, try to discover why that's the case. Was there something that, that you saw either personally or something you saw kind of out there as to why you wanted to start Healerology in the first place? It's my own curiosity. I, 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 I saw... Everything that I was doing at, at the, the training center, you know, for, for Homeland Security. And I saw the development going on. And I always felt something was was a bit missing. 
you know, as powerful as it is, because I've, I've always been what I call like a self-development junkie. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if you name an assessment, I've taken it. Yeah. Um, mainly to see uh, what it says about myself. And, you know, I, I'll agree with some of it. I won't agree with a lot of it type stuff. Um, but I look for the recurring themes that, that come along. And so that has been what I call like a very healing path for myself. Right. Um, it's allowed me to kind of just cool down a bit. You know, I, I remember like in earlier points in my life, um, people would be talking to me. And I could feel myself getting angry. Or I could feel myself really judging the yeah. person in front of me. Yeah. And it, it always kind of troubled me. I say, like, what are you doing? Like, let let it go. Or like, like, why is this happening? Um, so, you know, the heliology is essentially expansion of that curiosity. And, and I'll tell you, once you go down this, let's say, awakening process, you'll just see things that you can't explain. Hmm. And so, you know, again, you know, engineering degree from Stanford. So I'm all about figuring it out. The numbers. Yeah. I've, I've, I've A plus B has to equal C. Exactly. Right. It's like right. it, 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 it must be logical. <laughs> right, exactly. And so what, yeah. I, what I kept encountering were things that uh, this does not make sense. Yeah. And so, you know, I would meet people and they would start telling me things about myself that they could not know. They just could not know. It's like from my background or something. They would tell me it's something that's currently going on in my life. Right. And so I would spend time talking to them, and I would see, like, well, how did this come about? And many of them, they had gone a completely different route. And so they were saying, well, you know, I always just knew that um, I there was more out there in the universe, and, you know, divine consciousness was talking to me, and I just go where spirit takes me. And I'm like, what are you talking yeah, right. about? <laughs> Um, so there are extremes in this. Yes. There's a way extreme on one side, and then there's that extreme yeah. that's trying to find kind of the middle. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> I think what I'm good at is seeing patterns right. and connecting seemingly disparate elements, our thoughts or perspectives together. So um, heliology is more about people, I would say, are kind of at, at the other extreme. But what they're, they're loosely called are, are healers. Yeah, they work with people on on a range of different things, and so a lot of people show up with uh, a physical maladies type thing. Yeah, but really, what it is, it's it's a continuum of of health. Your healthy state is where your general moment to moment way of being is. Right. You're peaceful, you're uh, content, uh, you're joyful, you're you're thankful. And I think I think to a degree, there are times when people forget that the the health, the word health. When you think about it, as you say, there are people that will have all kinds of different ailments. They may get cured from that. But the the part after that is still part of the being healthy process. Yes, yes. And, 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 and I think they forget it uh, in some cases. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, they, they miss it. They don't, they, don't get the, they don't get the lesson. And so when, right. when, when your body, you know, if you're depressed or you have anxiety, you get panic attacks, are you running around with, say, some um, you know chronic type disease or, or, or pain? Um, uh, it's worth investigating. Um, what is your, your 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 body telling you? Right. You know, at a core level, because what you're experiencing are symptoms, but what's at the root of that? And so there's this wonderful doctor. Unfortunately, he's passed. Um, oh, 
I'm blanking on the name. See what 20 years does. But um, he, he wrote, I think, Healing Back Pain. Okay. Um, and his doctor, oh, here it is, John Sarnow. Okay. Um, I was just going to look it up for you on the internet. Or, <laughs> no, go ahead. It's a technology connection. Exactly. Uh, and he, in his experience, so, you know, he came also from more logical type of thing, and he did a lot of pain management. And at the end of the day, he realized, you know, I've seen a 1,000 patients or more, and I'm pretty much the equivalent of a witch doctor. I don't really know what's working. Some things work for some people. Some things don't work for people. But he started to see patterns himself. And he saw type A personalities, people that were very hard on themselves, right. people who um, had difficult relationships with their parents, people that always had to do things for other people, people yeah. pleasers type things. Um, they were like a large group of his population coming through the door and saying, I'm in excruciating, debilitating back pain. So he approached it from a different way. He approached it from helping them understand that there's a relationship between their inner thoughts and maybe things in, in their subconscious that yeah. they're not aware of yeah. that are affecting their physiology. And his, his discovery was for a lot of these people, um, he said, you have a lot of rage, a lot of unrecognized rage. In your subconscious, you are seething because you are not taking care of your own needs. And so through the process, um, he was able to help a lot of these people cure them simply through having a conversation with them. And they get awareness. And there was another group of people that didn't help. And then he would uh, take them through a series of lectures. And, and that would help the, the other people. And, the, and the most people and the people that were that didn't have help at that point, they went to a, a cognitive behavioral therapy. But uh -huh. I don't quite know what he did, but he wrote a prescription. He said, take this to the, the therapist, the, yeah. the uh, psychologist and and have him or her like do this with you. And this took care of most of it. So he wrote, uh, I think, the uh, the mind body connection. So, several books, um, but but that's kind of the root of the healerology, and so it's it's great to treat people's physical symptoms, and we all want relief. But at the heart of it, it's almost kind of the same as like pharmaceuticals, okay? Because we're still treating symptoms, right? But what really right. appeals to me about the healerology side of things is there is opportunity to go deeper, because that's at the root of it all. And so when anyone talks to me, um about whatever they're 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 experiencing, um, I I'm it just I just light up because it is like they presented me with with a puzzle because I'm yeah. saying what's 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 behind that and I'll tell you just this week I was talking to a woman and um, you know it was our first conversation and I said so if if you could have anything that you want right out of out of this conversation you know we have about an hour what would that outcome be? And she says, I want to stop binge eating and I want to stop being hard on myself about my body image type right, stuff. Right. And um, I was just getting some text from her this morning and, and I've got some earlier this week. She says, I don't know what's going on. I've stopped binge eating. I can just eat a regular amount. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's fascinating. My, my mom, who I'm living with, I'm living with my parents, you know, we're, we're always at each other's throats now we're having conversations, and, like, I don't get angry with her at all, um, and I'm getting, like, the best sleep ever. And so, hmm. you know, the thing is, you know, I still have to ask my, myself, like, well, have, have I done anything? Right, right. <laughs> really? Because in one way, we just had a conversation, um, and I brought certain perspectives to her. Yeah. But then being on this path of heliology type stuff, I'm, I'm also applying techniques from these other healers that right. I'm still trying to see – 
well, this is not logical. It doesn't make sense or anything else. But at the end of the day, it's it's working. But in, and that leads to something. And you're not necessarily, I think, thinking this as you're doing this because you said you're having a conversation. But in the case of the example you just give, the issues of binge eating and and, and uh, the concerns of you know personal frame, body shape, and I mean those are medical issues that we see from so many people these days that have, speaking of the grander scale of healthcare in general, have a significant economic component to what we see in healthcare to begin with, and to be able to try and take some different ways to be able to cure some of these, maybe not cure, but at least address some of these issues. You're also Again, not intentionally, but benefiting these people, but also we're, we're creating a better health care and better level of health in general in this country. I, I, I love your vision, and, and that's, that's where, where I'm, I'm taking this. Um, I, I want this really more to become an ideology because it, it's not really so much the one-on-one that needs to happen. It's like people need to internalize a certain mindset, yeah. a certain frame of just holding themselves. And like ultimately, all I can and say to people for, to have optimal health is just be yourself. Yeah, That's it. Yeah. And most people, they're living as their non-self. They're, they're, they're living in their personality, yeah. and they're living in their beliefs and perspectives that they, they, they adopted when they were like four or five. Yeah. And so really what you're experiencing for someone from someone is their – their protective mechanism. They're the person that they're angry all the time, or they're the jokester, or right. they're the pleaser, or they're the, they're the person who who always has to make sure everyone else is is okay. Right. But you know, if you are able to be yourself, you're going to be at peace. You're going to have uh, uh, many moments of, of of joy in your life. You're going to have a deep connection to yourself, and you're going to have deep connection with other people. And right. so, you know, to the extent that that we um. That, that we can spread this, that people can understand this. And, you know, it takes repetition because sometimes yeah. you, you can just hear <laughs> yeah. the message. Yeah. But on, on the other side of things, what I've seen is that sometimes there's more focused techniques because I, I kind of consider it like a three-legged stool. You, 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 have to, um, you have to change your love model for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you, you say – I tell people you have to, like, love yourself. And I can tell you, like nearly everyone I encounter, like they're they're misinterpreting it. They say, "I am, of course, I'm loving myself and doing that." And I'm gonna say, "Well, but you're not." And and but I don't put it in those terms because right. it's that's way too direct. But but they're they're not. And 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 love is like the best nutrition ever, the right kind, right. unconditional love. We don't even have to put the modifier on it. You know, love is love. It's not unconditional or not. Um, the other thing is, you will have things. Uh, just kind of trapped in you. If you talk to massage therapists, many of them will say the issues are in the tissues. And so you're walking around kind of with this, I'll just call it excess energy, the stuff that hasn't been flushed from your system. So most of the time what you see when things happen, you know, people get excited, then they become non-excited. They get upset, then they become non-upset. That's how things should work. But at a younger age, you can get overstimulated. And so you'll get excited, you'll get scared, you'll get anxious, and it, it doesn't dissipate. And so you're, that's, you're still carrying that, that around with you. Um, so, you know, that has to, has to, has to leave. Um, and the, the other thing, and it, it comes further along, but there has to be this aspect of giving to other people, you know, the service type, type thing. Sure. And that's so important because that's a great way to get out of your own head. <laughs> when when yeah. you're actually concerned about the needs of others. But you yeah. come from a healthy place. So you want to you give – 
with a full cup. And so that full cup is when you've taken care of yourself and you've, yeah. you've given yourself the self-love. Many people, they're trying to give from an empty cup. And so what's happening is they're doing, doing, doing things for people. And then they get, oh, I'm not being appreciated. You know, <laughs> it, 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 they don't understand everything I'm doing for them. And it's exhausting. Yeah. I'm so tired. It's like I can't keep this up. And then when you feel from a, a, fill, a full cup, it's inexhaustible. Does it worry you that that you're seeing that? Not only in adults, but at times in, in in children as well. You know, it's 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 interesting that you say that. I typically just work with with adults, right? And so, um, mainly everything I'm saying, like I I, it's the adult model. Yeah. But of course, all this originated, most of it originated when they were children. So right. when when I look at at children, um, you know, it's there's a wonderful opportunity for for them to experience things that they aren't experiencing today because mm-hmm. you it's it's generational you can see it as a continuum so you know we look at this without judgment but yeah. when you see like say cycles of abuse someone who's abused when they're younger they grow up and they become an abuser right you know someone who has an alcoholic parent they grow up and then they have problems with addiction or say alcohol um so if you just look at there, there's a starting point to that yeah and so the way I think to address it with with children is to create a a um, a program that helps them get more self awareness earlier. Yeah. Because in in with that awareness, they can have some, I think, what resilience uh, yeah. to this. Yeah. And, I, and I must say, now that I mentioned it, so th- there's something else I'm involved in, but it's called Play in Peace. Okay, it's a nonprofit, but that is, um, you know, I'm I'm one of the contributors, but I'm I'm far from like one of the central pe- uh, people. But Play in Peace, and in it, it, in Miami, uh, in Miami, yeah. But it's it's available. In, in other places. So, okay. so this, the central gist of it is it offers uh, mindfulness programs sure. to yeah. children. Yeah. And, um, and it's free. And so if you're an organization that already has relationships with children, you know, you're the Boy Scouts, you're, you're the Y, you're, you're like a school, you can use this play and piece information. There's five different modules, and you can use it with, with the children. Yeah. Um, and that's a great way. So mindfulness I'll bring up because for the longest time I didn't understand that. And right. so you know, to the extent it might help people hearing this, mindfulness is just – it's really just monitoring your thoughts. It's becoming more of a witness, more mm-hmm. an, an observer yeah. to what you're thinking. And so it, all your feelings are fantastic. Enjoy them. Sure. You know, love yeah. them. Um, but you, know, you should feel them. And then, and then they should they should go. And so, if you're let's say angry all the time, it, mindfulness helps you understand like the source of that. And yeah. so, like the, the sooner that children get those skills, the sooner that they'll be able to say get better resiliency. Yeah. They'll be able to self regulate themselves more. And then, when they experience things that are upsetting or frightening, and many things are at that age, then then they will have the tools themselves to to dissipate this right. energy. Nice meeting you. Thank you for coming in. Enjoy your weekend here in Philadelphia. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dominic Petty uh, joining us as our first uh, Wharton alum joining us here on our Reunion Radio special. We will take a break. Continue with Reunion Radio in just a minute here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. You're listening to a special presentation of Knowledge at Wharton, celebrating Wharton's Reunion Weekend. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back to our Reunion Radio special here on Sirius XM 111. 
And we have seen the market soar in the last uh, couple of years with gains of 20 to 30%. That means that the investment uh, sector is in generally pretty good uh, condition right now. There have been questions about whether or not we would see a pullback sometime in the next several months. There are still all kinds of investments seemingly to have value to them right now. David Burkhardt is a 1998 Wharton grad, as we mentioned. He's also founder and chief investment officer for Coloma Capital Futures, LLC. And he joins us here in the studio. Nice meeting you. Welcome back to campus. Thank you very much, Dan. It's been great to be back. So as I mentioned before, when you were graduating here, this was, well, did you see the groundbreaking or? I think there was a pit. Right, exactly. <laughs> the pit, it's not Pittsburgh, but, it, uh, you know, it's a different city. But uh, it's nice to see here. So what what has your Wharton experience meant to you both as a, as a, as a student, but also post-grad in your professional career? Well, for me, it was really, like most people who come to Wharton, is to transition. I was in finance, but in a relatively junior role. And this allowed me to break into those roles that I really wanted to have. And uh, I feel very fortunate that I was able to go back to the city where I came from, which is San Francisco, and, uh, and as well as contribute to there. So I've obviously been to the Wharton building out there in San Francisco, the Wharton yeah. program, yep. as well as an alumni interviewer. I uh, helped uh, with the uh, committee here in terms of arranging things. But I think it's just a, it's a great way to be someplace, come to a new place, just be immersed in that experience, and then take that back to the place that you came from, and then just take that to the next level. So tell us about your company. Tell us about Coloma. So Coloma Capital Futures is a small firm. We do only manage futures, which basically means we go long and short. We do two strategies. Commodities is the main one that yeah. has a nine-year track record, so a long time. These gray hairs, which you can't see, <laughs> you know, they all are from work, I assure you. <laughs> right. Uh, but, uh, but it's a one way that people, when they think of small companies or entrepreneurship, they don't often think of the investment business. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I felt was important to highlight in coming on the radio here. And what we do, folks, is, is on what's going on in the markets from a fundamental perspective. And then we try to either apply statistics to that or just apply our human knowledge. So we do that on the commodity side as well as on volatility or VIX futures, as had been the news relatively recently. Yeah. And so we basically look to be long and short, be very hedged, uh, take only the type of risks that we want. And I think that's the main thing about investing generally is just know what you're investing in. Make sure that, yes, I want that risk. If you don't want it, look for a product or act in a way that says, okay, I'm going to get that out of my life. So then how do you react to the the – the investment culture we've seen in the last two years, where seemingly, at, at least when you're looking at the markets, I mean, it's, what, 20, 25, 30% on the Dow that's gone up. And seemingly, we've seen other elements. Gold has pretty much stayed in, in the same ballpark over that period of time. How do you look at this investment segment in general? Well, for my mind, it's driven by interest rates primarily. In other words, cheap money yeah. ended up basically in very limited sectors. And in this case, it ended up through the banks to investments, whether those investments were in private equity or through the private sector. Yeah. Certainly in the Bay Area, we've certainly seen our share of very large private companies. Sure. And also in the public markets, the stock market, the bond market, and also the real estate market, too. And so... You know, when you think about, okay, well, if we're going to come up with some jitters in the market because interest rates are moving up now, you know, what's going to happen to these markets just on their own? Even if earnings stay great, you know, set that aside. If yeah. money costs more and that's what's fueled this rise, should we think about what else we should be doing with our with our money, basically? And so that's where the, the idea of investment in other things like commodities really comes into play. Exactly. So, for example, you know, our correlations with the market are zero to negative 30 percent. 
And yet, depending on how the accounts are structured, you can do as well as the stock market has performed historically after fee. Yeah. So it's really the type of thing where, you know, you look for where is that place in the portfolio. So you don't look at what we do on its own. You look at what we do in conjunction with the other things in your portfolio. Right. Um, I think one of the big issues in the investment management is, you know, industry is fees, of course. Sure, yeah. You know, you want to get – you if you pay a lot of money for something, you want to get something back, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so to me, that's the other aspect is saying, okay, are we getting value for money? Obviously, that's the trend of indexing. I used to work for Barclays Global Investors before it was sold to BlackRock. That was indexing, yeah. basically, right? And so I think, um, you know, when we think about how the markets are transitioning, part of it is how do we get more and how do we save more and therefore have better value in our lives going forward? Because right. we never know what's going to happen. Right. Uh, we're joined by David Burkhardt, who's the founder and uh, chief investment officer at Coloma Capital Futures. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, our reunion radio special uh, on this uh, graduation and alumni weekend here on the University of Pennsylvania campus. Being in the San Francisco area, obviously that's really the heart of the tech run that, mm. that we've been seeing over the last uh, decade or two. Uh Investing is seeing tech playing a role as well, robo-advising, other elements is into it as well. What do you see as the benefits of tech playing a bigger and bigger role in investment in general? Well, I think there's a lot of aspects. Some of them you might think are pretty boring. You know, it's operational. Like if I place a trade, yeah. how quickly is that executed, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but that's very important for transparency. For fairness, are you getting a fair price? Right. Even if I'm on San Francisco and not in New York or Chicago where our futures are primarily traded, yeah. I want to make sure I get a fair price for my clients, right? So that's one, if you will, simple aspect or right. basic aspect. Another, of course, is on the client side. Can they see their accounts? Can they monitor them? Is there transparency on the client side as well? Uh, another that, of course, that is very timely these days is machine learning, AI. So most machine learning AI programs have a very, very difficult time with the markets. Right. That's because statistically they don't act normal. I mean that in a statistical fashion. Sure. They don't act normal also. Right, in a, right. In a exactly. Humans way. Yes. But, and I think that's part of the challenge because machine learning, which is a fancy, basically fancy statistics and categorization and regressions, yeah. is basically they're looking for those statistical relations. Biology, that's easy. You put in sugar, a cell reacts a certain way, right? If yeah. you break down fats, that happens a certain way. That's not true in the world of investing. The way that I sometimes say it is there's 10 things that affect the stock market, but only two of those things are actually active on any one day. Yeah. So you have to figure out sort of what is driving that market on that particular day. So we do have some uh, you know, statistical processes as part of what we do, yeah. and we're in the process of applying a machine learning algorithm to one of our programs in parallel with what we're doing as sort of, let's call it human programming. Yeah. But I think that's you know one of the basic ways where even a small firm can capitalize on these big tools and with the right knowledge and experience, you know, drive something that's of value for their investors. You mentioned the, the Chicago being the heart of, of futures. For those people that don't follow it, uh, futures is, is a unique bailiwick for a lot of investment people. 
in terms of your firm, how grand is the scale of, of futures that you were involved in? We were talking briefly before you came on the air, just a few of the areas that uh, that you're looking at uh, in terms of futures. Right. So, for example, on our commodity strategy, obviously we trade in the energy markets, which are the biggest you know commodity markets yeah. in the world. But we also trade in coffee, sugar, cocoa. Uh, you know, cocoa, for example, 60% of all cocoa comes from two small countries in West Africa. So yep. Ivory Coast, 40%, another 20% from Ghana. Ghana chocolate is excellent, by yep. the way. I would recommend it to anyone. Uh, and coffee. Coffee is also one of those commodities that, you know, is more broadly grown. But And, you know, there's certainly a lot of issues about fair trade and, you know, where it comes from, how yeah. it's sourced. Those issues are true with cocoa as well. So you also have a good example of some of those political issues affecting what happens in these markets. Yeah. Climate, weather is very important. We follow the weather very closely. Obviously, what happens in the Midwest is very important for the row crops, corn, yeah. wheat, soy. So I think that's one of the balances that you have to think about is say, okay, is it something fundamental like weather that's moving these markets? Or is it something political, such as what's happening with Iran, what's happening in oil generally, the Middle East, or the shale revolution here in the U.S.? So I think there's, you know, all these aspects make it, A, a challenge to invest in, but also make it fun. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's part of what having the Wharton and that kind of background coming from says, okay, here's a lot of different disciplines, pull them together and see what seems to be the most important at any one particular time. Well, let, let's focus on oil for a second, because sure. obviously it's kind of, it's one of the big stories right now. Yes. Uh, we've, you know, after a long period of time. Uh, West Texas crude is over $70 a barrel. It's been quite a long period of time. Right. People are wondering how high that can go. And then here comes Iran right. with what's going on there right now as a factor. And what's interesting about that is some people have come out and said, well, this is a very concerning element. We could see prices go significantly higher. I've heard other people say, well, you know what? It's not potentially as big as a lot of people think. Where do you sit on that? I would suggest that it's going to be on the potentially not as big as people might think. Right. And I say that mainly from a U.S. perspective. And I say that mainly also because we produce so much of our own oil. Sure. And yeah. I don't mean we as the United States. I also mean Canada, Mexico, the U.S., if you will, conglomerate, if yep. you will, the Gulf of Mexico, you know, which is shared by two countries, right? Uh, Mexico has been much more aggressive about letting foreigners come in and help develop its industry. Um, Venezuela, I would say, is the big risk for the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. So the unrest that's happening there, the steady declines that have happened in their oil production due to the lack of investment there and the treatment of foreign companies. Um, there's a lot of things that can drive that price of oil. And um, you know what's happening in Venezuela is very interesting because we have China involved. China has lent, what, $80 billion to Venezuela? Yeah. Will, will they get paid? You know, that's a basic question. Right? Yeah. Venezuela is basically four, three of its four refineries basically need to be upgraded so they can produce gasoline. So five cent gasoline may not be available per se in Venezuela as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of, sort of give and take that the U.S. can play a positive role in. Yeah. You know, from a geopolitical perspective. Well, and that may, may be one of the biggest things because politically what has been going on in Venezuela over the last year or two, obviously you've got concerns of the people themselves, Absolutely. but also uh, of the of the oil and, and uh, oil industry in Venezuela, which for many years was such a massive producer and obviously is, has lost a little bit uh, of its stature 
in the in the global uh, global perspective right now. That's right. And the alternatives to oil, too. I mean, oil by itself is basically useless. You have to refine it, right? So, you know, if Venezuela can't produce the oil that it needs to generate the earnings it can use for the benefit of its people, you know, it's in a a tough spot. Um, And actually, it also hurts in some ways U.S. refineries. U.S. refineries, particularly in the Gulf Coast, were originally tuned to, you know, use a blend of the heavy crude oil that comes from that part of the world and the lighter blends that come from this part of the world. So if the heavier blends aren't available, you're not necessarily getting the same refined products on the yeah. other end. So there's a little bit in the weeds, of course, but it also shows what we have to look at when we think about these markets. Well, I think the question a lot of people are asking also is that because of the fact that the U.S. is becoming a bigger and bigger producer, or North yes. America becoming a bigger and bigger producer, where are we headed with that, and what impact will that have on the global site of oil. When you think about what OPEC has done in the last year or two with the cutbacks that they have talked about the, and the relationship that they now have seemingly with Russia in the in the oil industry as well. Right. Well, I think the main, there's sort of two sides, obviously, to every story. There's a supply side, which we've been talking a lot yeah, about. Yeah. And the U.S. is truly on track to deliver 12 million barrels per day of oil, which, of course, is an amazing amount of oil. I mean, yeah. that's it's more than half of what we need. And that's why I say when we throw in Mexico and Canada together, all of North America is relatively self-sufficient. There's going to be always the physical aspects. We do export oil. Those exports have been increasing as well. We're basically on track to do about 2 million barrels per day equivalent of exports of oil. And we've actually just shipped, and it has arrived, the first shipment to China. So China, we're going to thinking about the demand side, China, India, those countries really are those growth countries really are demanding a lot of oil. So yeah. we see the expansion of the oil pipelines from yeah. Russia. Obviously, the pipeline, the ships from Iran, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, UAE, and so on from the Middle East. You know, so it's trying to figure out that balance. And you know, and then that goes into the general macroeconomic state of things. As long as growth in China is six percent, six and a half percent, or more then we're going to start seeing still that very high demand. Right. They also have a strategic petroleum reserve like we have here in the United States. Yeah. They want to fill that too. So there's a lot of factors. But it's also going to mean that the pipeline issue here in the United States is going to become a bigger and bigger topic in the, yeah. in the years to come. Right. And actually, Canada is the, the hub of that. So they have a lot of oil up there that yeah. they can't necessarily ship out except through the United States yeah. because they have a pipeline they've been trying to get built out through their west coast, which has been blocked for a number of different reasons. Over and by, so, like, Vancouver and that area. Exactly. Yeah. And there's actually been a lot of um, conflict within Canada very recently, in the last couple of months, over what's going to happen with a, a pipeline that would go that direction. Yeah. So in some ways, you could say Canada would be very interested to export directly. They would certainly capture a lot more value from their oil rather than having to transship it through the United States. Yeah. So there's, that's all part of the balance and what we're all trying to figure out here. So then what do you expect to, to occur? And, uh, and I will shift it to NAFTA for a second. Sure. What do you expect to occur with these negotiations that have been going on now for a while? And there, a few days ago we heard about uh, there, you know, we could hear an announcement of something coming up in the future. I think everybody realizes that something will get done. Oh, yeah. It's just what will get done and what is changed off of what we've known as NAFTA for the last 25 years. Right. Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind is that there were trade agreements before NAFTA. Yeah. So, And that's true with Europe as well, yeah. right? So just because NAFTA goes away, let's just assume it does. You know, 
quote unquote worst case scenario. Yeah. You know, there's still trade treaties. There's still commerce is going to happen. Yeah. So to my mind, there's obviously a lot of sound and fury, but to sure. quote Shakespeare, I don't know Much exactly. About nothing, yeah. Yes, we will see what, exactly what happens. Um, and you know, I think there's been a lot of negotiations that have been happening recently. Obviously, Asia has been the center point of a lot of negotiations with the United States. Yeah. I. I don't think that any. I don't think it's all interrelated per se. Right. But there is going to be knock-on effects, right? So successful negotiations, say in North Korea, is going to have a knock-on effect to what happens to say in China, or perhaps something that happens in the EU will perhaps knock on to NAFTA. So there might be some cross uh, pollination, yeah, or infection, the contagion to use yeah. a word that we haven't heard in a long while. Um, but I would say that. Um, I would be less caught up on the minutia of what's going on with the uh, those negotiations. So how much does the commodities market come into play into some of these negotiations? Some of them, obviously, is very important because Canada is a huge producer. Mexico produces everything yeah. from metals to grains to livestock. Yeah. It's very, very important between the three countries commodities are. Uh, but China also has used soybeans as a, yep. as a club yep. in the current negotiations, yep. right? Um, they're using pork now. Uh, as you know, they're slowing shipments. The old uh, there's no extra cost, there's no tariff, yeah. but we're just going to take a little extra time inspecting these uh, freezer containers when it comes at a time where they need more pork than ever. Exactly, and and it's a staple for them. It's a staple. Uh, and how do they grow their own hogs? Well, they need soybeans. Yeah, right. So yeah. they can get some. Fr- they can get a lot, quite frankly, from Brazil, Argentina. Argentina didn't have a good crop this year in corn and soy. Uh, this year for the U.S. Um, you know, we expect things to do pretty well, um, perhaps not as well as last year. The weather will have a big impact, but corn's going in the ground right now. So, <laughs> you know, and the f- American Canadian farmer can plant basically the whole crop in a week. So, you know, that, talk about technology affecting yeah. the business, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think that's, that's, again, one of the knock-on effects that we don't always think about. Obviously, that's why where someone like me would come in to say, hey, you know, it's, let me follow that for you so yeah. you don't have to. Well, it is amazing when you think about the technology and just specifically about farming mm-hmm. for a second. Exactly. Uh, I saw a video earlier today of, you know, of, uh, of, a, of a, a grain hauler coming through a field and, and how the, the technology has kind of impacted that part of it, which obviously plays a downstream effect to the benefits, the profits, and to the, to the trade markets. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we have to deliver grain all the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, you know, there's always storage costs associated with that because there's only a certain growing season. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, that's part of the management as well. And when you think about the big, you know, why are there the big firms of, say, Cargill, you know, ConAgra, you know, all these big firms, ADM and so on. I, their, you know, their linkages, their tie ups, their global presence is extremely important for the U.S. and the countries that they serve. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of knock on effects, not just in, you know, the trading, the markets, and, you know, oh, it's up today, oh, it's down today. Yeah. But it's also important, like, okay, can I eat today? Yeah. And that's really what I find interesting about commodities. It's yeah. hard, it's physical, it's right there. Well, Enjoy your chocolate. You know, as I was going to say, and I'm, a, <laughs> and I'm a chocoholic, so, but these are all things that you can physically touch, and they connect with most consumers in general, which I think is a, is a, is a huge part to this. So Exactly. David, thank you very much for coming in. Enjoy your time here on campus. It's been wonderful. I appreciate the time. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.